Well, good morning, FBG Women's Bible Study participants. We are so excited that technology is allowing us to bring you the last four teaching sessions of our Colossians Bible Study. Now, these will be led by Angela Tyland and Michelle Sparkman. And I got to tell you, I was really excited for you all to be able to experience their teaching in person, but I'm equally excited that you're going to get the chance to listen to it over the coming weeks. I do not have to tell you all that now is more important than ever that we are plugged into God's Word together while He was strengthening and renewing His church. Let's make a commitment each and every day to perk our ears so that we are intensely attuned to what our God is saying. Okay, no more yapping from me. Let's head right into the teaching of Colossians 3.18-4.1 through 4, 1 with Angela Tylan. Good morning. Although this forum is not our first choice to be doing Bible study together, I am so thankful for the technology and resources that allow us to continue to learn and be challenged together. I'm a very visual person, so I'd like to paint a picture of our normal study space. You can envision our Bible study room, everyone sitting in the chairs, the table of food that is overflowing with sugary and baked goods. I'm on the stage, and because I can paint a perfect picture in your mind, imagine the best lighting, no technology issues, and obviously not one hair on my head is out of place. Or maybe more helpful to imagine us all, with Bibles open, pens in hand, and leaning our ears into an audio where either the chaos of kids, work at home, school, or the quiet of loneliness surround us. I've been excited to teach through this section of Colossians with you all for quite some time, and I will not let anything, not even a virus, thwart God's word from being read, discussed, and hopefully impact hearts. So in light of living in a time where everyone in the world has been impacted in very real ways, let's not pretend that everything is normal and okay, but let's lean in and listen to how the Lord has and will continue to infuse this current season with his wisdom and peace. I will be referring to some visuals that can be found in either the link that was texted or emailed to you or on our FBG Women's Ministry Facebook page. I hope these visuals can be helpful through this audio to give us visual learners a tool to engage with. Our text in Colossians this week picks up from the context that we are a new creation and can live freely as such. And in everything we do, we ought to do it in the Lord's strength and for his glory. In chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, four verse 1, Paul goes into just how this looks in a household setting. These instructions will handle how they ought to think and live within the structure that they spend the majority of their time, the home. This instruction for the household structure is also most countercultural, would have demanded a major shift in thinking and action within the largest context of their daily interactions. But even more important than a desire for the Colossians to understand how to practically live out their new identity as believers was the focus on why. This why points them and us to the Lordship of Christ. You see, if the Colossians truly understood what the Lordship of Christ meant, then the radical ideas that Paul presented in this passage of submission, obedience, and loving sacrificially would not chafe, but we be embraced and pursued. 
So let's begin talking about the concept of the Lordship of Christ before we enter into our section of text. So first, what do I mean by the Lordship of Christ? Lordship means supreme power or rule. So what and who gave Christ his supremacy? How did Christ obtain his Lordship? The simple answer is that Jesus was always Lord as part of the Godhead, but he was also exalted by the Father as Lord after his sacrificial obedience to the cross for our salvation. We see in scripture from Genesis through Revelation, Christ's Lordship on display and being declared by angels upon Jesus' birth in Luke 2.11. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Acts 2.36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. And in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 30, verse 4, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. In Philippians, God the Father confirmed the rank of Jesus as Lord. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was Philippians 2, 8-11. through as creator over all, Jesus is sovereign in control over all. He is Lord. He has the right to rule, the right to command, and he holds the obligation to be believed and obeyed. Okay, you may be thinking that you have no problem saying that Jesus is Lord, but do we truly understand the implications of him being Lord? Do we live as Christ, as our Lord. If we examine our lives, we may find that our hearts, thoughts, and actions fall more in line with a fundamental belief that Jesus is God rather than Jesus is also Lord. I must admit, I more, more readily praise Jesus for being my God, my Savior, my help, my provision, far more than I praise Him for being my Lord. So is it wrong to praise Jesus for being God? Absolutely not. But what are we missing when we don't praise and live as Christ is our Lord? 92 times in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Lord, and only two times called Savior. This doesn't take away from the truth that He is Savior, our Savior, but dominantly, He is Lord. So why does acknowledging Jesus properly as Lord become a second thought to us instead of a second nature response of praise and thanksgiving? Because living as Christ as our Lord requires something of me. It requires something of you. It requires a response of active submission and obedience. 
If God is our Lord, the supreme power and ruler, then by his definition, we are not those things. We are not in charge. And when we place ourselves as ruler, we are usurping his lordship. We can't pick and choose when Christ rules. He rules the past, present, and future. There will never be a time when he does not rule supreme. The concept of submission and and obedience really has a bad reputation, but they're actually very beautiful if placed in something trusted. Our family went to Germany a couple of summers ago, and we got to see the Neuschweinstein Castle built by King Louis II. It's the same castle that inspired Walt Disney to create the Magic Kingdom Castle. Part of the tour included a bus ride to a location that would give us tourists the best view of the castle and a perfect location to take the picture. You know, the perfect family picture that will be used in all of Christmas cards and will be surely looked upon for years and years and years to come. But if we wanted our perfect family picture, we would need to walk across the Marion Brook Bridge. That bridge was suspended over a huge gorge, 300 feet above safe, solid ground. We had a choice to make. Do we trust in the structural integrity of this bridge and then decide to walk in that trust? Or do we miss out on what the bridge has to offer? Paul is calling the Colossians to step off the ledge of what they know and what culture demands and walk across a bridge towards their greatest joy and freedom. But the need to trust that God is Lord, creator of all, sustainer of all, in control of all, full of authentic and never-ending love. If they trust in God's good character, then they too can trust and obey what he calls them to do. So the call to submit and obey can be trusted and obeyed because the trustworthy God has called them and us to these things. Jesus offers us much joy as we daily align our hearts, thoughts, and actions to display the trust we have in Jesus' Lordship. So now let's finally get into the text with the context of how the Colossians can, under Christ's Lordship, live out a radical life that offers joy and freedom for themselves and to those around them. So let's read the text. We're in Colossians 3 verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. A believer's confession that Jesus is Lord of all must be manifested in their daily lives, especially in the household setting. Paul lays out this household structure for the Colossians in light of the Lord Christ's lordship. 
and we can see it all throughout the text. You can look at the chart on page number 8 to see the text divided up visually. So we can see, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Why? As is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. How? Do not be harsh with them, and so on. Do you see how God is explaining his structure? He's giving us a why and a how. He's not required to do that. He's not required to do that. And it's, it's out of his grace that we receive these additional words and reasoning. Paul knew that what he was writing flew in the face of tradition and also fleshly desires. Submit, um, I'd rather be my own boss or at least inwardly resist and rebel. Love your wife? Wait, I'm supreme and she ought to serve me like I'm used to and tradition says. Obey in everything? That's too hard. What about just in some things? Don't provoke and treat justly? But I'm like God when I control others and I like to feel like I am God. You see, they needed to cling to something outside of tradition and fleshly desires. Submitting to the Lordship of Christ gave them purpose to be radical. It gives us purpose to be radical. We've been throwing around the word submit, so let's slow down and talk about it. Submit in this text is a middle present imperative. You can see this visually on page 10. Imperative verbs create an imperative sentence that gives an order or command. The command is obedience. The middle voice indicates the role of the subject. An example of a middle voice in Greek is, I moved versus she moved me. The middle voice in this verse indicates that in submission, wives should voluntarily submit themselves to their husbands, just as Christ voluntarily submitted to the Father. We rarely think about Christ submitting to the Father when we read this verse because we typically bring into the text ideas and opinions that are just not in the text. We bring our experiences, our hurts, our struggles to be heard and need for control. Submission, by definition, does not remove personal choice. Personal choice is the makeup of the word. Voluntary obedience. This is the structure that is within God's goodwill. Do we fully understand? No. But I also don't fully understand Christ submitting to the Father to his death. But from his submission and death, we see beauty, life, and order. I truly struggled with the concept and practice of submission from really from a very early age through college and into my first couple years of marriage. If I were to strip away the ideas and experiences that shape my understanding of submission, like my upbringing, my hurts and disappointments, my own fleshly desire for control, I could show you that at the very core, the real issue was that I didn't trust God that he was a better leader of my life than I was. And even more raw, I didn't have a solid understanding of Christ's supremacy, and I was unable to submit to something that I didn't understand. From the foundation that I built upon myself as Lord, I constructed fractured and shanty buildings, hurting myself and others. Only when truth revealed through a mentoring relationship exposed my inconsistencies 
Did I make a choice to think and live as Christ is Lord of all? Was I able to actually experience for the first time freedom in that area? My heart is for all of God's children as they grow in sanctification to find that freedom that submission offers under the Lordship of Christ. I want to draw attention to the lengthy detailing of that third pair in our text. I don't want to blow past this just because we think that doesn't pertain to us. Our calling as Christ followers is to submit to Christ's Lordship. So as we're looking at this concept of slavery that we see here in the text, it relates to us because if we confess Christ as Lord, this means we're also acknowledging that we are his slave. The Greek word used in this text is doulos. It's defined as slave and described as one being subject to the will of the owner and in total and utter dependence on that owner. The word slave, doulos, appears in the New Testament 130 times in the original text. Slave is translated as servant in most Bibles, which may obscure how we interpret the passage, and it could even change our foundational understanding of the text. Slavery is a hard thing to discuss because it's a distasteful part of our history. If slavery is a hard thing for us to discuss, Imagine how hard it was in the Greek and Roman world to talk about slavery as it lived in a time where slavery was a very part of life. Slaves held the most undesired status in society. And for the Christian leaders to charge that same society to become slaves for Christ and to also be slaves to one another was almost impossible to comprehend. But those same Christian leaders also called themselves slaves. James, a doulos, slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a doulos, slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And Paul, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a doulos, slave of Christ. You see, Paul understood that a slave lives to please his master only. Paul was not seeking to please man, but God alone. John MacArthur puts this so well. Being a slave to Christ Jesus is beyond any kind of slavery that anybody has ever known because this master makes us sons and gives us all the right to his own sons. He adopts us into his family, calls us joint heirs with Christ, takes us to heaven where we rule and reign from his own throne and pours out all the lavish riches of his possession forever and ever and ever for our own unmitigated joy and for his own glory. Who wouldn't want to be a slave under that master? What a joy to be a slave of Christ. Oh, John MacArthur just puts that perfectly. So in light of what we now understand about slavery, this text may just come alive in a new way. Dulo, slaves, as we serve the Lord and others, we are to do so fearing the Lord. So what, do, what do I mean by fear the Lord? That sounds a little scary. No, to fear the Lord means that we're actually trusting in God's good lordship. And that's not a scary thing at all. That's a sure thing. It's when we stand in awe of his authority. Dulo, slaves, 
We are to work heartily, seeking to please God alone. Dulos, slaves. As we serve others, we are serving Jesus Christ. This passage is so very applicable to the Colossians and so very applicable to us. Finally, I want us to examine this final charge to masters. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We have a master in heaven. He is called God. He is called Lord. When we have the desire to approach others in an unjust way, unforgiving, gossiping, with anger, wrath, malice, and slander, yes, those are all terms that we read about in the previous weeks of this study through Colossians. When we approach others in these ways, then we are living under our own lordship and not Christ's. Our Lord calls us into obedience for our greatest joy and to display his glory. We can't remain neutral. I'm going to say that again. We can't remain neutral. Either we place ourselves in submission under Christ, who is author of all, holy and worthy to be subject to, or we choose not to acknowledge Christ's lordship and we pretend to be Lord ourselves, which will have devastating effects both now and in the future. As we close, I want us to remember Paul's prayer to the Colossians in his opening of the letter. As Paul lays out his heart for the Colossians, my heart is for us to fully embrace the freedom and joy found in Christ's Lordship. I wish to close with Paul's prayer over us today. Lord Jesus, I ask that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in your knowledge, God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Amen.